Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Call Her Doctor podcast. Um, I'm Natalie, I am your host for this podcast, and this week I'm talking to Caitlin, who is a PhD candidate in Industrial and Systems Engineering, and we talk um, a lot about self-care and boundaries in this episode, but we also talk about her transition from biology as an undergrad into engineering, what her life looks like, what her research looks like, um, and just kind of give you another, you know, look into the life of another PhD student in STEM. So we really hope y'all enjoy. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at she engineered. A majority of the podcast content is going to be there. Um, so make sure to follow along and I'll also link all of Caitlin's info in the show notes. So I hope you all enjoy. So hi everyone. I am here with Caitlin and I'll let Caitlin go ahead and introduce herself. And then we're going to talk a little bit about her grad experience, a big focus on self-care and some other stuff like that. Okay, so hey everyone, my name is Caitlin. Um, Currently I'm a PhD candidate in industrial systems engineering, but my research is mainly focused on human factors. So right now looking at car crash injury biomechanics. As a PhD student, my life isn't just school and research. So outside of that, I make sure to share self-care and just my everyday life on Instagram and other social media platforms so people can tie in like scientists are real people. We're not what you see on TV at all. We have lives. Not all of us wear lab coats and not all of us work with cells. Yeah. So I found Caitlin through, um, she's at the Curly Scientist on Instagram and we'll be sure to link um, everything, her website and everything in the show notes. But yeah, it's just, it's awesome to see another woman in STEM, you know, trying to showcase what life looks like and provide encouragement and resources and all of that as well. So you're actually, I just realized the second person we've had on who focuses on human factors, one of our earlier guests, Madeline, um, they focused on human factors in their research uh, more for their masters and then also on like engineering education and stuff. So I love how that's becoming like, I think more popular. I feel like it's a growing field. Yes. And I can see the shift in my department, especially with ISE, since that's like where everyone is for human factors. Now that we have like maybe 15 graduate students who are interested in that aspect of ISE, they're starting to get the funding to do other types of research. So now it's we have different tracks for our coursework and we are all taking like supply chain management, project management, like things of that nature, which are transferable skills for sure. But I can see them starting to transition as far as getting the right right amount of instructors, the right types of courses, making sure the people teaching are qualified to teach those courses. So I can see the shift in my school, which I appreciate because Supply chain management, though interesting, is not my thing. <laughs> um, it's it's just something that, of course, with COVID, I could tie into my skills to understand, like, this is why there's no toilet paper. <laughs> so from looking at it from that perspective. No, that shift is so exciting. And I think that's happening at a lot of universities where, like, the people who are in high school or, like, really early college now, mm-hmm. by the time they get to the end of college and grad school, I just feel like there's going to be so much more of an overlap between kind of the human factors and like, you know, engineering for the benefit of society instead of just technology is, you know, Mm -hmm. technology becomes more and more integrated in our lives. So that's really cool. Totally agree. 
Now, you don't come from an engineering background, right? You did your undergrad in, is, was it biomedical sciences? Straight up biology. Biology. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, it wasn't even like biology to prep you for medical school. It was biology where my concentration was more so like organisms, ecosystems, biodiversity. So I learned a lot about plants and the outside world, which I appreciated. Um, and it helped me understand biology a lot more, which is shocking because I'm not just learning about human cells. Here's plant cells and then talking about animals. So just a wider range of how processes occur in different types of organisms. And I, I can't stand working with cells. I applaud anyone who does. Um, I've had a couple internships where I've done it and it is tedious work. I can see why it's relaxing to some people, but the part where it's of the disconnect for me is it's a Saturday and you want me to come into lab just so my cells won't die. I have to make sure I like replate them, get them together, count them. Like that was where it was a disconnect for me. <laughs> and um, just making like the different, like intricate parts of cell culture is the other thing that just got me like, okay, I don't think this is for me. Glad I had this experience. So engineering was definitely my strong suit after I took a step back and figured everything out. Like, okay, I can still do kind of bio stuff, but on a macro scale and applying different types of things that I know already to help me with this next step in my life. That's awesome. Yeah, that I think came up a lot during COVID. If people were working with any live specimen, it's like, well, do you stop your whole yeah. experiment that could be months in the works, you know, to because of COVID? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely a good, a good call yeah. given everything that happened. So how did you know? Because I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with going into grad school is. So, for example, I did my undergrad in electrical engineering and electrical engineering is a huge field. And I had to kind of sift through and figure out exactly what I was interested in because I was going to be paired with a lab that did a very narrow field of work. So how did you learn about the career opportunities and figure out that engineering was like the direction you needed okay. to go? So I was actually lucky enough to go to like a huge science fair in DC, like with one of my good friends, I want to say in like 2016, because after I graduated from undergrad, I did a year long internship and then I just worked because I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Medical school seemed cool, but I worked at a doctor's office, so it didn't seem too cool after that. Um, so I actually went up to, um, I don't even remember the company. It was a government entity where it was a biomedical engineer and they were in a naval uniform. So I was just asking them questions about what they did and based on my interests, just talking to them. And I really appreciate them for even doing that because most of the time when you're at an event like that and they were actively recruiting students for internships, I wasn't a student at the time. So I'm just like, I really appreciate you just listening to me, giving me feedback and talking about your journey because I'm really interested in the similar research areas them, the types of technology that they used. I used that on my internship and I really liked it, but the educational aspect on my end was lacking. I wasn't an engineer. So I was like, okay, so this person said they have a master's degree in biomedical engineering to get this specific position because of X, Y, and Z. 
So I took that upon myself to then look at job descriptions that were similar, just to see what other biomedical engineers could get hired as, like what their role would be at different types of jobs. Um, and of course, academia is always an option. So when I figured that out, then I knew like, okay, this is what I want to do. I really like this type of research. And I pull a lot of my personal experiences into that as well. So my research is always something that has either happened to me or happened to someone that I know. Um, and that's really how I became an engineer, just taking that time. And if I didn't take that time off to really think about what I wanted to do, I probably wouldn't have been an engineer. I love that because I think that's something that I talk to a lot of the girls who I help with the applications. I talk to them about like, what's your why? Like, why do you want to go to grad mm -hmm. school? And, you know, people have concerns about their GRE and their GPA and all those other application factors. But what I think they miss a lot of times is the like, this is why I want to go to this university and work Absolutely. in this field. And, you know, having some kind of personal connection or just the story of like, I tried this and didn't mm -hmm. like it, didn't, you know, and then you kind of filter down what you do like, um, I think is really important. So I like, I'm glad you shared that. <laughs> do you mind my asking how old you were when you started your master's? I can cut this out if you oh, would rather not. So when I started my master's, I was 26 going on 27. I have a fall birthday. So I always, I'm the kid that has the birthday right after school starts. So um, yeah, I was 26 going on 27 in 2017. Okay, cool. Because I know a lot of people like I did my, I started my PhD right out of undergrad. So I was 23 when I started. So you weren't that much far, you know, further ahead of me, but I've worked with some women and had some women ask, you know, if I'm 30, should I think about going back to school and you know, there's kind of that common, like, you're going to be 32 in two years either right. way, like you can either get the degree or not was there. Yeah. Like, did you feel any of that, like not wanting to not start over, but not wanting to have to kind of move into a new field and that kind of stuff? For me, it was more so like, if, if I really want this for myself, then whatever sacrifice I have to make is necessary because I looked at it from the career outlook standpoint. As someone with a broad degree, there is no way I'm going to make, number one, the money I want to make, work in the exact position that I want to work in. Like my only options were to become a teacher or to be like a lab manager. And I just was like, okay, you know, no, that's okay. Um, sacrificing a couple of years to work to make sure I get everything that I want for myself. And of course, if I'm going to work for a company, making sure I set myself up education-wise to be a better candidate. So when I apply, I can put myself out there, higher chance of me getting the position, things of that nature. I was thinking from that perspective, but also... It, it is an adjustment, I will say, as someone who worked full-time and then now you go into a full-time student, it's a total different world. You're not used to, you're just not used to it because of, um, of course, not making as much money as you used to, but also from the standpoint of I have like this schedule I have to adjust to. For me, I physically moved so I, I'm no longer in my home environment. So having that logistic happen and um, 
just other, just, you know, other personal things that you have to take into consideration before you make a step like this, because it's not a, it's not an easy decision. I will say that for sure. It was not an easy decision, but I looked at it again from like, for what I want to do, this is a necessary step that I have to take. Even if I were to stay where I'm from, I would still have to make these decisions like, okay, am I just going to do this for this long when I know I can apply to grad school, get into a program to make myself a better applicant and then see what happens? Because honestly, that's how I ended up in the PhD program. I was only going to get my master's degree. (laughs) And then one of my advisors was like, why would you stop? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Why would I stop? Like, I have a job offer. <laughs> this is what I came here for. But it's sometimes it's also more for you. You never know like the, where the journey is going to take you. So when you're presented with the opportunity to get a degree for free, you might as well get it kind of thing. And um, just having the support to go further was there was available for me as well so that's how I ended up in the PhD program okay okay that's awesome yeah I think getting more education that's never going to close a door that's just going to continue to open doors so that's awesome so with the transition from working to being a full-time student is this kind of where that like recognition of needing self-care and self-care strategies came in because I know you know, being a full-time student is like a full-time job plus some kind of. Mm -hmm. So is that kind of where that came in or was this something that was really big while you were working too? It was big for me while I was working because I worked at a doctor's office. So I'm talking to patients all the time, talking about their problems, whether they call me or not, like medications. Um, Even if I wasn't like the medical assistant, because I wasn't, that's not my, that wasn't my role at the doctor's office. But if you're a face in the office, everyone assumes that you're working with the doctor, which fair point. So hearing all of what patients need and knowing what was going on with certain patients, it does take a toll on you because it's like, this is a lot, you know, and of course, reoccurring patients, you feel, you start feeling for them. Like, I just really hope that they turn out. Okay. Like little things like that. It started to weigh on me, especially when it was kids. So, um, having a nine to five and having a self-care routine is way easier than being a full-time student and having a self-care routine because nine to five are the set hours that I am at work. If anyone texted me outside Monday through Friday at those hours, I would not respond if you worked with me. (laughs) Um, But at school, it's a totally different ball game. Emails don't have a time limit. Um, the amount, the volume, they do not care. And it could just be university spam emails, just alerting you like, hey, this is happening now, hop on the Zoom call. And one day I did an experiment where it's like, let me not check my emails. I got a hundred emails on a Wednesday, just from different advisors, professors, classmates, the school. And I'm just like, wow, it's a lot coming at me at once. And that's just the emails, not the text messages from your classmates about assignments that are due today that we're clearly confused on, or like some side messages from your lab group talking about, oh my gosh, the computers are down. Like who has the software? Like little things like that. It comes at you constantly. So 
the self-care routine I had when I was working is not the same <laughs> that I have now as a full-time student. And it's really based around my class schedule now, as opposed to like my work schedule. So I guess we can go into some of like, it's easier for me to give examples how I yeah. Okay. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I think like, you know, any strategies you have or like, what does your schedule look like okay. and how do you kind of hold the line with your schedule? That okay. would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So the biggest thing for me, um, part of self-care is boundary setting because since everything is constantly coming at you, you're the one that has to set the hard boundary of this is when I'm going to stop doing something. The emails are still going to come. The messages are going to still going to come through, but you have the option whether or not to respond. The only time I will look at an email or a text message or anything like that regarding class or research is if I have to meet a deadline and my classmate is asking, we're in a group together and we're trying to meet the deadline or my advisor is emailing me saying, hey, just correct this really quick and let's submit it because the deadline is in two hours, something like that. But other than that, emails, I will stop reading at five o'clock p.m. sharp. I will not respond to any emails. I'll make sure like even if I read them, I'll press unread so I can see them in the morning. But I have a weird schedule this semester. So my classes, thankfully, are in the morning as opposed to last semester where they're in the evening. So this is a lot easier for me now where I work between eight and five, but I take breaks. So after my first class, my classes are two and a half hours straight. So after my first class, I'll just take a break. Um, Since they start at eight, I'll probably eat breakfast, um, go to the gym, just little stuff like that. And then after I start getting to work, um, then I'll take another break to eat. Um, if I if I feel so compelled to take a nap, I will take a nap. <laughs> like I will make sure that I feel okay with the work that I'm doing because during the day, if I don't take enough breaks, if I don't eat, if I don't just do something for me, I know that the work that I produce will be subpar because I'm either tired, I feel some type of way, or I'm just all over the place. So just taking the necessary time that I need throughout the day to make sure that I feel good about the day and everything in general. So I'm putting out great work is very important for me. And with the schedule in general, I just make sure that I'm hitting at least one class, class task every day. As far as my classes, having three classes it's usually not the coursework that's difficult for grad students. It's the volume of work that we get. So if I have a four-part homework assignment, I'll make sure like, hey, it's due in one week. Maybe I work on one part per day type thing. So I'll look at everything that I have to do and just go through each each list that I have or put it in my planner just so I know I'm working on those things just to keep track of them. But I will never overwork myself either. So research gets thrown in there where it gets thrown in there. And I'm lucky to have advisors that totally understand that. And they really just want me to be okay with everything that's happening. So I'll probably, if I had to put a time on it, maybe max four hours of research a day because it's so intense. Like when you're learning new techniques and reading literature, it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of energy out of you. So probably four hours of research, four hours of schoolwork, that's an eight hour day. And maybe I'll do a little extra here and there, which is why it's eight to five. So I don't feel too bad, but 
just just setting a schedule for me has been a huge form of self-care yeah definitely and I think I'm glad you said that you typically spend like four hours a day on research because I think I know I've gotten in my head I'm only taking one class right now and it's an hour Mm. and a half twice a week so class isn't taking up that much time but I, in my head, I have it that I should be, you know, work, working yep. as in doing research yep. eight hours a day because yep. that's what I'm getting paid for. Mm-hmm. But like class has to factor into that. And yep. then there's meetings and there's all of that. And so like, you know, I shoot for six good working hours a day of like focused time and then kind of like let the other, you know, hours be filled up with stuff. But I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm glad you brought up planning too. I think looking at like the week ahead and coming up with that schedule and knowing what to expect and knowing that you need to start on things earlier is so, so helpful. And yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of people have that same experience of like, you take care of yourself and you do a lot better in your classes. And, you know, there's so much noise about like hustling and you have to, you know, like you put in the work now and you'll get the reward later and there's, you know, there's something to that in terms of like, it is hard and, you know, it is going to be a little easier later, but I think I'm starting to see a shift that I'm excited about where people are seeing self-care as a tool mm-hmm. to be a higher achiever yeah. rather than them being like contradicting things. Yeah. And it's important to, it's important to think about what makes you comfortable as a grad student. Like, your what's your ideal situation especially working from home working from home is interesting because it's like the bed is right here I can just turn zoom on and go to sleep (laughs) so it's like you want to be comfortable however you want to be comfortable in an environment that is conducive to learning too so it's like though I'm home I can relax I can eat all the snacks that I want I still have to do this job but it's though it's important it's like it I don't want to say it can wait but it's like if you know that your head is not in the right space in the moment yes it can wait because your mental health and how you're feeling trumps everything that is happening at like with class especially if it's not due that day like give yourself a moment I've seen so many students who wait until the last minute when they're just overwhelmed with everything enough. And I know we've probably both have had those moments where it's like, okay, I have one more day to do the assignment. I'll just do it tomorrow. <laughs> and then the assignment is more than we bargained for. So just making sure that you start everything before it's way before it's due. That's another form of planning and scheduling in itself because you don't want to fall behind on the plan and schedule. You, I just went on a huge tangent. <laughs> But it's just like I've as someone who has been a serial procrastinator, especially in undergrad and in high school, I would always wait until the last minute. So when I got to grad school, I was determined I would never wait until the last minute on assignments because those things will pile up like crazy. So just having a set times every day to do a little bit 
is better than you sitting down in one eight hour span to get one thing done. And then you're overwhelmed and you're burnt out and you still have to wake up super early in the morning to go to that class. And it's just too much. So give yourself give yourself enough grace and gratitude and give your mind a break to put it out there on like some sort of planner. So, you know, today I'm going to work an hour on this, tomorrow this, things like that. Yeah, that's so good. And I think with undergrad, we get in this habit of like, if I'm going to sit down and work, I'm going to finish this assignment. And I think, especially with research, it almost, you have to shift to kind of like, okay, I'm going to put in a couple hours at a time and there's going to be no tangible result for days and weeks and sometimes months. And like, that's a huge mental shift from, you know, undergrad going straight into research was learning that like, that's okay. And that's normal. And I shouldn't expect to be done with an entire research project in a month. Cause that's just not reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right about the research aspect because we want that instant result of, okay, I did this today. Here's the end result. Okay. I can close everything. And that's how I was too, when I started. And I'm just like, that can't happen because I'm going to be here all night trying to get just one output from this one line of code that I clearly don't know what's going on. So it's okay to shut it down as long progress as progress in the research world. Um, as long as you're not trying to make that progress two days before a deadline, you're okay. But um, again, it's all about just planning everything out. Yeah, definitely. You talked a little bit about boundaries, and this is actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Um, with setting boundaries on things like answering emails and times of day you're working, have you communicated those boundaries to like the people you work with in your advisor, or are those just kind of internal boundaries that you have with yourself? Half and half. I will say my advisors will know me well enough to know I'm not going to respond to them after 5 p.m., but one of them does know because I've said that. And um, it took, I will say it took them by surprise because they were like, yeah, I'll probably email you around nine. And I said, great, I'll look at it in the morning. And they were like, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm, you're going to look at it in the morning? I'm like, I'm going to look at it in the morning. That's what I mean. <laughs> and I'm like, if, it, if it's not anything that's pressing, if it's not something that I have a deadline that I need to meet, if it's nothing that has urgent I, I'm going to read it and respond to it at 9 a.m. in the morning. And we just went on, had a discussion about it, an honest, open discussion. And I told them it's not because I don't want to look at the email. No, it's because I get so many emails in a day. And by the end of the day, my mind is not going to be functioning in the capacity that it needs to, to answer this email in an intelligent manner. <laughs> um and a clear and concise and all of that good stuff. So I want to make sure that I give everything the right amount of attention, especially since for me personally, a lot of the work that I do towards the end of the day is harder and harder. So I go from like, okay, here's my classwork to here's this code that I need to make from scratch for my research. My brain, like the longer you go, the harder it becomes. So it's like, all the syntax can get jumbled and things like that. So I'm reading these emails after I do that all over the place. So that's not fair to me to read an email when my mind's all over the place. 
and I respond to it and it's not fair to you, the sender, where you took the time to send me this email in depth and I'm just not into it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's a good way to handle it. Cause I know when I first heard, you know, the concept of like setting boundaries with people, I thought it had to be this really intimidating, like sit down, here are my boundaries, like a conversation. And I've kind of found that I've not needed to have, you know, fortunately not really needed to have that conversation. Um, but a lot of my group does, we have our group meetings Monday morning. And so there's a lot of coordination and back and forth going on Sundays at like 11 o'clock at night. And like, I mean, people just kind of know, like, I don't ever answer those. I'll get to you at eight o'clock on Monday morning before the 11 o'clock meeting, but 11 o'clock on a Sunday night, like my do not disturb is on, on Slack. And I just, you know, and I think (laughs) it's, it's easy to not easy, but it's a good starting point. I think to set those boundaries, like internally. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Without the scary conversation. (laughs) Yeah. And it transfers over because it's not just about you as a student, you having these boundaries with especially your advisors. Now it'll be easier for you to create and stick to those boundaries when you are in the workforce and that is your supervisor. So I'm not saying that their expectations of you should lessen. That's something that I've always had to tell people. Like, I'm not saying that I'm not going to do this. I'm just telling you, if you message me after a certain time, I'm not going to get back to you until the next business day. And I think that's fair because especially now in COVID, people are more understanding about that since everyone is working from home and on the university level. Now we're seeing our professors as human beings. So their kids are in the background. We see their spouses, we see their pets. So it's like now more than ever, you understand where I'm coming from, especially as a student. I'm not making this request out of thin air. I'm just saying like, hey, give me a moment so I can have this evening of regular life and then I can get back to you in the next day. And it's just really important for more students to be comfortable in setting that boundary. And something that was recently brought to my attention was it's difficult for a lot of people, not just because maybe they feel like they're being disrespectful, but because it is their cult in their culture that is a form of disrespect. So I'm like, that is, it's mind blowing to me because it's like, I never thought of that. And, and some advisors do take advantage of that. And I'm just like, that's equally awful. So it's kind of like this never ending cycle of if you don't step yourself outside of the circle that's happening, they'll keep looping you in with everyone else that they've dealt with. And now I can tell like a slight shift with one of my other advisor um, where it's like, okay, she doesn't do work on the weekends. All right. Um, (laughs) what do I need to do to accommodate this? Um, because so much work is being done Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday, nothing. Okay. Uh, don't know what to do. Like it's, it's making people really think. And though I like it, it's like, why hasn't no one else? I don't want to say question authority, but like, just, you know, just been honest and open because I told my advisor straight up, like, I love what I do as a researcher and as a student. This is great. I'm not doing this over the weekend because I'm doing it constantly. And though eight to five is my personal schedule, we all know sometimes you stretch that out a little longer. Or for me, if my day doesn't get started until 12, that really stretches my day out longer. So it's just like, yeah, Saturday and Sunday, 
I may do a little bit, but nothing in depth, which is why none of my meetings are at the beginning of the week because I need just that time for myself Saturday and Sunday to get it reset my brain, if you will. Yeah, that's awesome. The weekends are definitely something I'm trying to like protect more because I just know I do so much better through the week if I yeah, have that time and off. I, and I'm just like, I, Saturday and Sunday being off for me are recent because I felt bad when I wasn't doing work. Like I felt an, a like heavy weight on my shoulders over the weekend pre-COVID. I'm like, yeah, I'm out having a great time with my friends, but I have this research that I need to do. Like it's constantly in the back of my mind. I couldn't fully enjoy myself with my friends or even just binge watching TV because I'm like, it's just this thing behind me like you should be doing this you really should be doing this and more times than not I really shouldn't have been because of I needed that moment for myself so I just started to kind of lessen the times on Saturday and Sunday so I would only work like 9 to 12 if I did anything and that really helped. And then I was just like, well, if I'm only gonna work nine to 12 on the weekends, I might as well just stay up a little bit on Friday (laughs) to finish it or, and it just started lessening and lessening. And I'm like, okay, I feel comfortable stopping here on Friday. It's somewhere I can stop and pick back up on Monday comfortably is how I looked at it. So it's doable, trust me. And I suggest, I suggest everyone do it as long as like, because it's not just you setting that boundary. Like if you have a requirement from your research group, like I have several requirements. If you're not meeting those requirements, then there could be repercussions for those actions. So if you're someone who can't consolidate those seven days into five, as far as getting some work done, you may still want to do some stuff on Saturday and Sunday, but just make sure that you're meeting the requirements that you have to meet. Yeah. And I think it's a good strategy, you know, to look at like, can I meet all the requirements within these five days and then look at expanding it rather than kind of this, you know, I think there's guilt around like not working every day. And I would see people in the lab um, who are sitting there with like Netflix open and a snack and they're kind of working And I've been there. That comes straight from the guilt of feeling like you haven't worked enough hours. So I need to be in the lab, but I don't really have a specific task I'm trying to accomplish, but I feel like I should be here. So I'm going to like half work and it's miserable. Like that is just the most, I just, I see that guy who does that every time and I just know how miserable that is. So I think, you know, meet the, the have to's. Mm-hmm. And then if you, you know, really need to, you know, the stuff that bleeds into the weekend should really only be those have tos and the requirements. Yeah. And I know like, again, pre-COVID, <laughs> when we were going going to conferences and stuff, if I knew that I was going to a conference the week after or like really soon, I would work through the weekend because I'm not doing work during the conference. It's hard to do, like, I don't know how students do it. And I've seen it so many times, like you're sitting there between sessions, typing papers and doing work. I can't do that. I just kindly ask my professors, like, just give me a couple of more days or tell me the assignment now so I can get it done because I'm not going to do all of that. 
that work during a conference, you have to be responsible for your laptop. Then if you're presenting, it's like a poster or being super nervous trying to present an actual talk, like, no. <laughs> so if you have something that's coming up, make sure that you just talk to them get it together and work through the weekend because you don't want to hinder your experience at a conference um, because you have other work to do, like not even research, but schoolwork. You never want to stress yourself out that much during a time where you should be networking. Even if you're not presenting, you still want to have that time to be fully present. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, are there any other strategies that you want to share before we kind of move on? setting boundaries was my biggest form of mm-hmm. self-care honestly it was it was the when I started saying okay five o'clock I'm not doing school or I'm not doing research it really shifted everything and that's when other things started to fall in place it's like okay here come my hobbies my hobbies can come back so then it's like I like to do my own nails so Friday when I don't have class or after my first meeting, I can do my nails if I felt like it, or I like to just walk around downtown. Um, Just opening the schedule to where it's like, okay, I had a rough day. Let me just take a walk. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't have anything to do after this walk. I could go to sleep if I felt like it or like take a nap, binge watch Netflix. Like just the things that I thoroughly enjoy doing I was able to bring back without that guilt because I started setting boundaries for myself as a grad student. So, yeah. I love that. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, before we wrap up, um, I would love to know just kind of what does a day in your life look like? Um, You could do a day with classes, day without classes, just kind of what does a general day look like? So generally, um, I wake up around 536, which a lot of people still think is super early, but I promise you, if you get up that early and just work out or do like little things that you need to do, then you have the rest of the day <laughs> at your disposal. So um, I'll work out, walk the dog and things like that in the morning before class. If I don't have class, I won't wake up as early, but I'll still work out and do what I do in the morning. Um around the same time frame. Um, usually, even if I do have class, I'll probably still sit down, watch a few episodes of shows that I've missed over the week um, because now all the shows are on the same time, on the same day. Um, then listen to audiobooks. So as I'm working, I'll listen to an audiobook as opposed to something that I used to do, which was watch Netflix or Hulu in the background. Um, because it's more, I want to say it's a little bit more immersive because you have to kind of picture yourself in that environment. And of course, I'm not doing anything super technical because if I'm saying I can picture myself like listening to the characters like imagining their storyline. It's usually just like me typing up a little paper or something like that when I'm listening to audiobooks. And I will, you know, I just, I'm pretty, have pretty much have a pretty chill day. I just make sure that I do the tasks that I say I'm going to do. And if I end early, some of the things I like to do outside of typical stuff is I'll take my dog to the park. Um, I like driving around town. Greensboro is huge. I have no idea 
how big Greensboro is. So just driving around and seeing what's out there, I discover something new every time. And I also love to just de-stress. And my classmates now understand what I mean. When you just aimlessly walk the aisles of a store and my store is Target, because you because I don't always have to like go there for a specific thing. It's like you see something new, they change the display. Just and it's a great way just to walk out, not outside, but like just getting out of the house and safely, of course, because you're not going there for specific things, like constantly touching something. It's like, oh, for me, it's a great candle, like cute scent. If I feel like I want it, I'll grab it. Um yeah. Like just little stuff like that. Awesome. Awesome. And then do you have a current work from home favorite? This could be a candle or a snack or an app or any anything like that. So I literally just got this and it is the best thing that I don't know why I haven't invested in. Since my desk is like wider than most, I like to physically write things down as I'm looking at the screen. So my laptop is also big. I got one of those laptop stands so I can push it closer to my monitor, which is on its own stand. So they're next to each other. And it's, first of all, the line of sight is a lot better. So of course it's more ergonomic. And then I still have the rest of my desk to write on. So it just created more space without me having to do something drastic, honestly, or get another monitor stand, just something simple. And it doesn't, it's not bulky and I can travel with it if I wanted to. Um, I actually have two things. The other thing is a mechanical keyboard that has like the RGB, the red, green, blue rainbow on it and the mouse. I like the clicking of the keys. Even if I can't hear them, you can feel them. And, um, that's a form of haptic feedback. So it helps for me, it helps me like kind of type in a flowing manner. So it's not like flat either, like how some wireless keyboards can be a little bit flatter than most where it's more angled. So it helps with the natural form of typing. So those two things have been very helpful for my desk setup. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll try to link those. I can link them in my bio, I think. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. I think making those like little tiny changes to your desk and like, it just makes the work environment so much nicer. You know, I think now that we've been in it a year, everybody's like, oh, I should invest in some Mm -hmm. nice like work from home things. Yeah. And I have no idea why I never thought about getting a laptop stand until Mm -hmm. two days ago when Amazon (laughs) delivered it. And I just was like, oh, this is great. Like I have so much empty space right here. And um, just like make, like you said, making it a better environment because Mm -hmm. you are sitting there. um, It makes all the difference. And I did upgrade my desk because the desk that I had before was one of those like mini student desks that you have just to have in your house, not necessarily to use. So when I was working from it, I was just like cramped. I had all these notes and then had to take my lab monitor home so I could see. And it was just a mess. (laughs) So I upgraded my desk like two weeks into quarantine (laughs) because it was just too much. That's awesome. Yeah. I bought a desk. I think like that same week, my boyfriend was working um, at like an antiques thing and they had 
a bunch of desks and he was like, Hey, there's one here that like matches. You should come get it. You yeah. know? So I bought it that week. And then I bought one of those, um, bed like tray laptop stands which they gave us a budget and I was like I'm not asking to get reimbursed for like a work in my bed accessory <laughs> it's like I can't this was $15 like I'm not asking for no, this I understand. money back I understand. <laughs> to wrap up do you want to tell everybody where they can find you and the resources you share and things like that so you guys can find me on instagram at the curly scientist and that is also the name of my website thecurlyscientist.com on my website, I share different resources for fellowships and scholarships, as well as some tech insights. So if you're interested in learning how to code, I put out free and um, slightly reduced rates of um, different coding things that I've used or things that I've been just been brought to my attention from people in the industry. Um, I also just share, trying to think, my YouTube channel. Um, is on there where I recently posted something about just like the science of gel nail polish since I love to do my nails just different things honestly Um, I may post hair tutorials every now and then since that's another question I get quite often Um, and on Twitter I am curly scientist and the letter k for Caitlin and yep (laughs) that's where you can find me Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I think this is going to be really helpful for undergrads and grad students to hear. So I'm super excited that I got the chance to talk to you. Thank you for having me. And it was nice finally putting like the person to what I see on Instagram. Yes, yes, same. Awesome. Well, and I'll be sure to link um, all of Caitlin's information in the show notes and be sure to follow her and uh, we will catch y'all next time.